0: cannabis the same way you treat every other medicine. Look at them side by side. What are the pros and cons? And more often than not, when you look at cannabis side by side with the treatments that are being given to these patients, um, it's it's not even close in terms of benefits and risks. And so I think that's where physicians often treat cannabis in isolation. Welcome, everyone, to the Primary
1: Care Podcast. We explore stories, journeys, opinions, and philosophies told by doctors working in primary care. And now, the host of the
0: show, Ross Tannock.
1: Yes, I am glad to have you back, people. This is Primary Care Podcast number 10 with Dr. David Gordon, and this serves as part two to our discussion about his life and practice in primary care. In this episode, he takes us on a deep dive into the way he practices cannabis medicine, what the literature and research say about cannabis and its many applications, different ways that it is used and how it compares to pharmaceutical agents and Frankly, many more topics. So please reach out to him at his website um, for his medical practice called Four Pillars Health and Wellness. And the website is fourpillarsdenver.com. That's four, like the number four, pillarsdenver.com. I was happy that we also got into some listener questions toward the end of this episode so thank you for your participation in that way and most of all just thanks for listening this is a reminder that this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 quarantine so we uh, did this recording via FaceTime and you know how video chatting goes sometimes there's a little bit of a fuzzy connection but I think it sounds good nonetheless we tried our best Um, Another reminder to send questions, comments, guest referrals, feedback of any kind. If you don't want to reach out to Dr. Gordon at his practice, um, you can send them to me at theprimarycarepodcast at gmail.com. And I can't forget, huge shout out to my friend and classmate, Emily McGovern, for bringing Dr. Gordon to our medical school, Rocky Vista University. bringing him in as a guest speaker for our integrative and family medicine clubs and that's where I first uh, met Dr. Gordon. So thanks to Emily, thanks to you all, thanks to Dr. G and with no further ado enjoy cannabis medicine with myself and Dr. Dave Gordon. a little bit because I've done a little bit of research on you as to kind of your origin story with, uh, cannabis medicine. But if you could kind of guide us into talking about it with, uh, with how you got started.
0: Yeah. I mean, in 2009, I think it was, uh, Colorado passed legalization for medical cannabis use. You know, California had been kind of leading the way on that for a good decade before. But initially it was, well, one kind of a free for all here. So really the physician's role was just giving patients, so to speak, authorization that they had a condition that they could use cannabis for so they could use it legally. Um, There weren't even dispensaries or places to purchase it at the time, but, and so, but I had a handful of patients that came to me and said, Oh, you know, I'm using cannabis for pain or I'm using cannabis for sleep. Can, you know, can you, can you authorize this so I can use it legally? And, you know, these were patients I, I knew and, and, and trusted and, and so said, sure. But you know, there were several, so I, I kind of, after doing several of those, yeah, sure. I'll sign off on this. I kind of was like, oh, I should probably learn something about this. And, and I, I was already well in my kind of integrative medicine space and philosophy using variety of other botanical therapeutics and, and a lot of non kind of, you know, pharmaceutical measures. So so it wasn't a really a big leap to say oh here's another plant that might be beneficial right. but but I started just digging into kind of the research that was out there and this was you know a decade ago and and was really just blown away I mean there was already tons of information the you know what we call our endocannabinoid system which is essentially our own internal cannabis system which is Arguably one of the most important physiologic systems in the entire body, which I had certainly not been taught about, and as we've discussed, is still not being taught to to current medical students. Yeah, though, I actually wanted you know, to update
1: you on that because you came to speak at uh, my school, and um, and at the time we really hadn't heard anything about it, um, but we've since then seen it mentioned. Oh, which excellent. is good. Um, and it came up, um, I want to say in our, uh, just kind of, uh, pain, uh, farm, pharma, uh, pharmacology lectures.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, nice. Well, so there, there's progress being made on what's out there and, yep. and it's,
1: oh, it's, I, I uh, should say it was also mentioned in, uh, I think our GI section when we were talking about, antiemetics. Uh,
0: anti-emetics. Okay. Okay. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a start and, and it's interesting One, it got mentioned, that's a great point, but even just as we, we, were things we were talking about earlier not to divert back off the cannabis topic, yeah, yeah, but please. even in your training, it's very much we're talking about it in context of some symptom or disease, you know yep. very much label and treatment for that label. Um, and just it just kind of reiterates that that's still the, the kind of focus of education a lot is you know let's let's talk about a label and how to deal with that label. but anyways, I, I digress no, yeah, yeah. Um, you're right on. <laughs> uh, but so, so anyways, I started just learning and, and was kind of really, you know, blown away. Like I said, I'd already been kind of well on my path towards recognizing there was a lot I wasn't taught that was valuable for patients. Um, but you know, so anyways, it was kind of just kind of a part of my practice. I, I used it with certain patients, but you know, there was still, you know, gray areas in terms of legality and access and, you know, product selection. And so it wasn't a staple by any means. Um, but then, you know, a little over two years ago, I closed my my longstanding private practice without really a plan of what to do next. It was just kind of a, a point where I, I knew it was time to do that. And certainly topic, I'm happy to go into more detail if you want. But so I closed and it, it just kind of at the time there, I was looking at you know, what, what was lacking, what to do, you know, what options I I wasn't in a rush. It wasn't like I, I, you know, I had a plan, so I didn't need a full-time job immediately. And so I kind of saw that in the cannabis space, there was essentially no physician guidance for patients. There was people were getting almost all their information just from the internet or from dispensaries or from their friends. There was a, there was a bunch of, clinics that were just providing kind of these, you know, medical authorizations for patients, but, you know, literally two, three minute visits with just, hi, you're Joe. Okay. You're approved. And, and yeah, that, and that kind was of kind of the it. wild
1: west early days of, uh, medical legalization. Yeah, and, in Colorado. Well, and it's
0: still, it's still actually quite like that. Um, there's still very few options to get good medical education on cannabis, at least in Colorado, other States may be a little different, but you're saying as a I patient, kinda,
1: or as a physician, yeah, as a patient, or both
0: well, both yeah. both actually. But I I kind of found a, a clinic that was run by a doc who also had a functional medicine background and was really doing you know detailed assessments and really helping give people guidance on how to use cannabis effectively. So I started doing some shifts at their clinic and and really it was it was nice because I was able to you know even expand what I already knew. I really dug into you know, now what was the research in 2017, 2018 at the time, and which is, of course, exponentially growing. So in a pretty short period of time, you know, I would just like, wow, this is an area that one's not going anywhere, two is extremely has value, so much value, just seeing people who would come in and for just the renewal of their card saying, you know, my life has been transformed. You know, I was completely non-functional, you know, stuck on dozens of medications or, you know, just literally no life. And, you know, I, I've gotten my life back. And so learning from them what, what their process was and just digging again and going back to basic biochemistry. I mean, the, the amount of kind of biochemistry I've now looked at in terms of my cannabis training, um, receptors and agonists, things you don't even barely think about through the bulk of your medical career. You know, it's just, again, it's an intellectually stimulating area. And and so it was the combination of, one, seeing people benefit uh, and benefit in often dramatic ways, um, whether it's kids with seizures who were having hundreds of seizures a day down to zero, um, whether it's people that, again, were on multiple medications, just completely life-ruined by opioids, you know, off opioids within three months or six months, you know, people that were, you know, not anorexic from a psychological standpoint, but literally couldn't eat from persistent nausea and low appetite, you know, gaining weight and getting their life back that way. I mean, I just saw so many dramatic things that couldn't be ignored, regardless of if there was some quote, you know, proof or double blind, you know, study. And then, you know, I kind of said, well, let's, how does this work? I mean, my, again, my nature is a root cause, you know, assessor my, that's how I deal with chronic disease and as i said earlier the the two biggest root cause processes are overactive inflammation and an overactive sympathetic nervous system again there's there's root causes you know further upstream than those but that's still what what causes most chronic disease and and again conveniently that's exactly what you modulate when you activate the endocannabinoid system you reduce overactive inflammation and you reduce overactive sympathetic tone if you use the appropriate products so you know, basically it was, I'm seeing dramatic improvements from patients. I'm seeing, you know, enough kind of randomized controlled studies and other clinical studies showing patients benefiting from cannabis. And then I really dug hard into the physiology and the mechanisms of how cannabis works. And it it essentially fits exactly perfectly as to why it would be effective for such a variety of conditions. And so I've just kind of stayed in that space, because again, it's just another area where there's no guidance for people. And I, I, I'm always, that's what I've done in practice is just provide education, guidance and say, Hey, here's, here's what I think is going to make the most sense. And, and, you know, don't, you know, don't just assume again, there's not a one size fits all. So anytime someone says, Oh, cannabis is the great treatment for this. Again, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of usually call BS because, you know, cannabis is not just a treatment for another label. It's, well, if you've got too much inflammation and you've got this, yeah, cannabis might be a tool, but you're still going to have to do all the other things as well. So it's a nice bridge, I would say, to integrative and functional medicine for a lot of patients, because it's their first step, often outside of the pharmaceutical world. Right. Um, But I think I might have gotten off track, but that's Again, okay. it's 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 uh, it was just it fits so many areas that I was already doing. And it, it it was really important, I thought, to and I've since kind of become a voice of, I guess, education and voice of, of, of facts, you know, because obviously cannabis is a pretty controversial area um, even potentially more so sometimes than, than functional medicine or integrative medicine. So you've got a lot of misinformation. So you've got misinformation coming from the medical community, you know, often, um, villainizing cannabis incorrectly, but then you've got a huge amount of misinformation coming from cannabis advocates as well, Yeah. as it's the panacea. And again, this one size fits all magic bullet for everything. So I I just like, like many areas, I found a nice spot in the middle where I can learn the actual evidence and then kind of educate people on how this can be one of many valuable tools. And it's, 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 there's just a good kind of fit there. And it's an also, like I said, it allows me to introduce some other topics along the way that people might not have heard.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you kind of right at the end there were kind of leading me to my next question, um, which was about the the risks versus the rewards or, you know, the, the risks and benefits of cannabis as medicine, because basically everything in medicine has some sort of risk and hopefully some sort of benefit. Um, what are some of the downsides um, that a practitioner needs to be conscious of? Um, maybe in general, or maybe in specific instances, interactions with uh, uh, other medications or anything like that? And, and how do you manage the, uh, the risks versus the benefits? Yeah.
0: Well, like you said, a lot of things, everything has um, benefits and risks. There's, you know, if anyone tells you it's, no, this only helps and there's no risk, you know, they're full of it. But likewise, if someone says this can't help at all, And it's only dangerous, which is what we hear often about a lot of vitamins or supplements Like you know, they can't help. They're they're absolutely worthless, but they're really dangerous. That doesn't make physiologic sense easier. So, you know, there's a few things, at least from a practitioner standpoint, I'd say the first is always going to be kind of awareness of drug interaction. Because if you have somebody on multiple medications, and often those are the people who are looking for cannabis as an answer, they're they're sick. They have issues. So they're on meds. Um, At least least CBD specifically can have a variety of drug interactions. THC less so. Um, CBD can certainly have some. So they're rarely to the point where you couldn't use cannabis but they're certainly important to know about. But those can be looked up with any drug interaction checker that a physician should already be using in the office when they prescribe anything. So, just to satisfy
1: my curiosity, what are some of the things that CBD would interact with? So
0: it it interacts with uh, cytochrome P450. So you'll see it interact with uh, warfarin. certainly can be an issue. So for people on blood thinners, Coumadin, Warfarin, or specifically Coumadin, or warfarin, not so much the newer anticoagulants. Mm -hmm. Um, But that can certainly be an interaction. It can interact in the metabolism of various seizure medicines, which is certainly important because, obviously, patients with cannabis are either using seizure medicine for seizures but often are using seizure medicines for neuropathic pain. So there certainly could be interactions with seizure medicines, uh, interactions with some antifungal medicines, obviously a little bit less widely used, um, and then sometimes interactions can be cumulative. So, you know, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, we would say, you know, uh, grapefruit might interact with. So cholesterol meds, statins, certain antibiotics, um, doesn't mean you can't use cannabis in that situation, but you got to know, are, the, are you kind of combining drug interactions? So is it, cannabis plus a statin plus grapefruit juice plus this antibiotic, well, that could lead to be a problem. So um, it kind of can add to some of the classic effects that you might see with medicines that are affected by grapefruit. So, so that system, those are certainly the most common, but again, almost never are they um, prohibitive to using it. You just got to use it with a little more awareness. I guess the other area, which, again, is a common area for cannabis patients, is cancer. So certain chemotherapeutic drugs, you obviously do not want to affect levels of those. Uh, But again, there's so many different areas there. It's not one drug specifically. You just kind of got to look up what someone's on and, and gauge that. But so that's important to know. That's certainly, from a practitioner standpoint, I would say at the top of the list because it's common. Not necessarily going to be a life-threatening issue. And then I'd say the biggest thing from a risk standpoint, and this kind of goes into treatment as well, for the far, far majority of patients, a little bit of cannabis, um, especially when we're talking THC, kind of goes a long way. Most people respond very well. To low doses when we're talking THC. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people don't realize that because people already had been using THC for kind of just social use or as a recreational substance. So when you're using something socially, low dose is not your goal. You're using it for a given effect. Uh, And so a lot of patients kind of link the psychoactive effects of cannabis to its beneficial effects. And so... Um, you know, that's kind of one area we try to kind of help them disconnect and no really check in, use a low dose, see what your effects are. And you might find you're treating whatever medical symptom you need at that low dose. And, and with any receptor system, especially any G protein coupled receptor system, if you overstimulate that system, the receptors are going to, you know, you know, essentially go into hiding. It's not the really appropriate, you know, uh, you know like medical term. term. No, I like it. Um, <laughs> But I mean, that's true for, for any system, you know, you, if you, you overstimulate a receptor again, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're not gonna, the receptors are, your body's going to react. And so,
1: yeah, I think most people who listen to this would understand down regulation as, as a term. Yeah. So, so, but I like going into hiding.
0: So that's just, uh, you know, you know, kind of common sense that you don't want to use any drug that that kind of overstimulates a receptor um, for any extended period of time and i think that's what we see now in, in the cannabis space especially you know there's just access to a lot of thc out there i mean it, it's pretty easy to take in a lot of thc yeah uh, and 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 the again it's the, there's certainly risk with that and they, they come from a variety of areas there can be there's no really lethal risk of too much THC, meaning you're not going to, you know, like you could with opioids or benzodiazepines or even Tylenol, you're not going to acutely hurt yourself or kill yourself, but that doesn't mean there's no risk. So obviously, you know, too much THC certainly can impair driving. And there's a whole variety of risks that go with that. You know, big high dosages of THC can speed up the heart rate. So if it's somebody um, with, You know high coronary risk, and you kind of rapidly spike their heart rate. Obviously, can have ramifications there. Um, Again, in people who are prone to certain psychiatric diseases, and people who are prone to psychosis, you know, large amounts of THC can certainly uh, be unwanted and, and 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 cause increasing symptoms. And then again, with high THC use, especially in the absence of otherwise treating the underlying condition. So say someone with, you know, any, especially psychiatric issues, but really any symptom, if you're only using cannabis as your treatment and you're using large amounts of it and you're not addressing the root causes and you're not using other measures, you take cannabis away, you're going to have some withdrawal, not dangerous withdrawal, but you're certainly going to feel poorly and then you're going to go back to it. And that's a standard way you get addicted to something. You If you're only using one thing, um, and so there's in a worst case scenario probably about eight or nine percent risk of, of addiction. Um, again, far lower than than other compounds, but doesn't mean it's negative
1: yeah, that sounds like a lot to me actually. eight or nine um, percent you know it's almost one in ten.
0: Right. and I say that when I say worst case scenario, that's those studies come from people using THC dominant smoke cannabis socially on a regular basis. Those that eight or nine percent dependence risk, um, it, in my opinion, would be nowhere even close to that if you're looking at kind of appropriate product medical usage. My guess is you'd be well in the one percent or less range,
1: right? Yeah, uh, that makes sense. So,
0: so I, I say that as a worst case scenario. And so, I think the issue when it comes to cannabis and side effects that physicians need to know is the side effects you often hear about are, are accurate, okay? It's not that, um, we, we are mini, on top, but I'm minimizing the risk of those side effects. What physicians don't quite understand is while those side effects are real, their frequencies are generally low. They're often negligible if the appropriate products and dosages are used. And then the other thing is those numbers and those side effects are far, far, far less than the side effects and risks of most of the treatments these patients are already getting. And I think that's the biggest thing for physicians. And again, it's it's appropriate education. It's not one side is right. It's not that, you know, you know physicians who are saying cannabis has all these risks, but treat cannabis the same way you treat every other medicine. Look at them side by side. What are the pros and cons? And more often than not, when you look at cannabis side by side with the treatments that are being given to these patients, um, it's it's not even close in terms of benefits and risks. And so I think that's where physicians often treat cannabis in isolation. Like, Oh, it has a potential risk. Therefore, if there's any risk, it shouldn't be used. Well, that makes no sense because we use stuff all the time that is extraordinarily more dangerous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, so many, so many great points you just made there. And I was thinking about, uh, a, a podcast that I listened to kind of debating this topic of cannabis as medicine. And like any, good medical student. I get most of my medical knowledge from the Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> and um, maybe a, a year or so ago, they had uh, um, on a, a it was they called the pot debate, where they had mm-hmm. a, a family doc from Canada, um, who kind of had a, seemed like a similar story to you. Um, you know, was a family doc for a couple of years, and then got more and more interested in, in cannabis as medicine. Um, and then kind of opened up a practice that, um, you know, specifically deals with that. And he was debating somebody who wrote a book who's basically his, um, his thesis was that cannabis is not medicine or I should say THC is not medicine. Um, and his, I think from what I remember his, uh, you know, big soapbox that he was on was about psychosis. Um, and, uh, mental health disorders, depression, agitation, um, acts of violence, uh, all these things were induced by, uh, marijuana or specifically THC was, uh, I guess what he was saying. But, um, so his point was THC is not medicine though. He did concede that CBD can be, but he also conceded exactly what you're doing right now, which is talking about using, um, just a a even keeled, you know, uh, reasonable approach to treating patients with cannabis, just like you treat them with anything, including uh, other medications, um, and that that is uh, appropriate. So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah I haven't. I, I know the. I know the episode. I actually have not sat down and, and listened to it. I, I know many people that have. The it's it's a common argument of, again from kind of cannabis kind of prohibitionists or whatever the appropriate term is it, you typically see people take kind of the worst case scenario okay these you know the side effect that is you know can happen and then again extrapolate it to this is cannabis is going to do this to everybody which again it's just not good critical thinking i mean we a quarter of the us population uses cannabis and you know, since legalization, it is you know, more so since legalization, yet we don't see any of these increases. We don't see these problems manifesting on a full scale. It doesn't mean on an individual person standpoint, they don't manifest. So again, it's, it's always about, the, I want to say accurate education. And I know there's debate about that because, you know, fa- facts are <laughs> always debated these days, but.
1: Right. Yeah. It, Anybody can kind of, uh, find a study that's gonna make them right
0: yeah and so it's it's the question should be how to use something safely and effectively is just part of the greater toolbox um but you know just to take one kind of random worst case scenario and then apply it as a reason not to use something i mean we wouldn't have any treatments if we actually did that with our other medicines yeah and so that's my biggest argument to to kind of cannabis opponents you know you know, first is educate yourself because a lot of people are just spewing just downright false lies, propaganda. And so there's that piece. But once you get to the actual educated person who's really looking out for their patients, a lot of it is treat cannabis the same way you would treat all the other treatments you do. Really look at them side by side based on the data there is supporting their use, their actual realistic risks, and and as well as worst case scenario and Again, if someone's going to take the time to really learn all that, uh, they'll they'll become pretty comfortable with cannabis as a therapeutic option pretty quickly if they think about it from that perspective.
1: Yeah, from that direction, I kind of want to go in two different directions. I wanted to kind of ask what your views were on um, uh, cannabis as recreation, um, and if that you know plays a factor into your practice at all. And I also kind of want to ask about the differences between the different uh, preparations and, and various forms of cannabis, whether it be a combination of THC and CBD or just THC or just CBD, or uh, I I believe that there's dozens or maybe hundreds of other different, uh, um, you know, chemicals um, found in cannabis that are useful. Um, whether it be smoking or ointments or um, edible preparations. Um, So maybe we can start with that if you can just give us a, a kind of a quick rundown on the differences between all those.
0: Yeah, well, like you said, there's two main areas. There's what's in the product, and that's the different chemical constituents. And typically that's some combination of what we call cannabinoids, which are compounds Primarily found in cannabis plants, although not 100%. And that's things like THC and CBD. And then there's kind of an alphabet soup of other compounds, CBC, CBG, CBN. And then there's the acid forms of all those compounds, which usually the THCA, for example. And so there, there's so there's a host of compounds. And then there's a whole variety of ways you get those compounds in the body. So there's methods of administration. In general, when we think about cannabis in its current kind of state, uh, we think about THC and CBD as the two dominant medicinal compounds, and then the other minor cannabinoids and then terpenes, which are essentially plant uh, essential oils, which are found in all plants. uh, We think of those as minor constituents, just kind of providing synergy and kind of augmentation to the effects of CBD and THC. Um, There's certainly plenty of research being done as using these minor cannabinoids as individual isolated compounds, kind of as you would use a pharmaceutical or making custom formulations of products that have much higher levels of these uh, secondary cannabinoids in in most plants. But that area is very much in its infancy, Mm -hmm. so essentially with almost no human data In for any of those, so I still look at those minor cannabinoids as adjunctive compounds. I want products that have them in there because they just naturally seem to provide synergy. But I still focus my recommendations around THC and CBD primarily, um, with just hope that those minor cannabinoids are part of the mix. I I welcome all the ongoing research uh, and custom form, but once you in custom formulations, but once you start customizing kinda and making your own kind of Frankenstein products. Now you're going outside of nature. Now you're basically doing pharmaceutical medicine. And so therefore I want to see a little bit more kind of data or productive research, you know, before saying, oh, someone should use high amounts of C B C or C B G. So we're gonna get there and and we'll we'll have, you know, eventually if we get some descheduling and we get can do a lot of research. We'll we'll get answers, and you'll find oh this person is you know would benefit from a higher CBC compound. Uh, but again, that's that's not really where we're at right now. Is it, a general rule, and again, it goes back to a lot of that's just treating a disease. Oh, CBC treats this disease better. CBG treats this disease better. You know, we've talked at length about. That's not kind of how I I think about things. So. Um, that's on the compound side. Again, I I think those minor compounds have value, but still in their infancy as direct agents to address certain conditions. And really, most treatments are focused around different dosing ratios of CBD CBD and THC. Uh, The methods of administration, I really try to focus on, again, there's not a best. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. It's not everybody needs a tablet or a tincture or a capsule or In inhalation, there's pros and cons of each. Uh, The pros of inhalation, the biggest ones are rapidity. It works near instantly. So if you're dealing with something like nausea or appetite, you don't want to wait two hours for a benefit if you take something orally. You want something that works extremely rapidly. And, And again, people with severe nausea sometimes take one puff and they're better. So you would always say, yes, smoking is never going to be an optimal route of administration. Smoking creates carcinogens and other, you know, toxic compounds. Anytime you burn carbon, you get those. But in the grand scheme of things, someone taking one puff, even off smoke cannabis, uh, that may be the best thing for them. Also, maybe far and away the most cost effective thing. So, you know, you can't ignore cost. Um, For chronic issues, you know, chronic pain, things where you're treating day in and day out, um, we want something longer acting. One, we don't want the rapidity of inhalation anyways, if it's a chronic persistent condition. So we want more steady state levels. We're going to use you know, oral products. And again, for someone using larger amounts, then the risks of smoking become much more an issue. So again, it's, it's always knowing your patients and, and again, not having one size fits all. So to say smoking's bad, no one should ever smoke, Well, you can make a lot of arguments that make sense in a certain context. But, you know, again, what's smoking for one person compared to another? So somebody that, you know, takes a puff of cannabis three times a week when they have, you know, chemo and, you know, their their nausea is bad. That's different than smoking four joints a day. Uh, And so but they're both smoking. So, again, it's you can't demonize compounds you can't demonize roots of administration.
1: Right. People uh, it, people it, seem to uh lump things together when it's convenient for them or for their argument and then separate them when it's convenient for the what their right. point they're trying and, to get across. And we
0: saw that a lot with uh you know the vaping issues um over the summer. Of course there was people dying and people getting very sick from uh vaporizing toxic oil compounds. And you know So now vaping is essentially a a bad word, uh, yet vaping is just vaporizing, which just means turning a liquid or solid into a gas and inhaling. So, for example, vaporizing ground cannabis flour is arguably the safest um, method of, you know, putting things in the body and one of the the least adulterated because you're just taking clean flour, you heat it to a temperature that evaporates the medicine um, leaves all the plant material behind. So there's no smoke. There's essentially no carcinogens. There's a little bit maybe irritant from heat, but that's about it. And so that's still vaporizing, very different than taking a vape pen with toxic oils and low-grade materials and, and vaping that. So yeah. again, it just goes to with any topic, there's always nuances and not everybody can become an expert. Uh, in it. So you, you have to generalize a bit. But it's better, in my opinion, if you provide people with basic education, and then so they know how to not hurt themselves. You know, so for example, with smoking, I think it's fine to say no one should be smoking large amounts of cannabis as their primary route on a day to day basis. So I think that's a pretty general statement that I'm okay with putting out there. But to say smoking itself is Bad when it comes to cannabis, you're missing the boat, and now you're you're you know you're scaring people or you're using kind of fear tactics. And for anybody who's not knowledgeable, now they might be missing out on a valuable tool. And for people who are knowledgeable, they kind of know you're full of it, so now they're not going to listen to anything you say because you've lost their trust. So again, you need to generalize a bit because you know that's just the way information works, but you know you really have to um be a bit more educated and and not make blanket statements and that's true for everything but it's especially true in in the cannabis space because again you're either going to scare off half the population or you're just going to lose the trust of the other half of the population and and now nobody's getting good education
1: yeah uh i thought i had about the uh, rapid onset of of uh routes of administration like smoking is there any preparation that's um like a nasal spray and and would that be effective in terms of a rapid onset
0: so yes there is nasal sprays out there at least in colorado i think there's one or two um uh and they they've not been particularly well liked uh they do work rapidly um but pretty inconsistent in terms of dosing and absorption Mm -hmm. so a little harder to control plus people really don't like spraying things in their nose fair enough um if uh, you've ever tried to convince patients just to do basic sinus rinsing and irrigation (laughs) or neti pot or 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 take their or, you know, nasal steroids or whatever, uh, people just really don't like putting things in their nose for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, so it's not that popular, but it, it's a root. There's also increasing rapid acting oral formulas. I mean, there's some oral formulas now out that work within 15, 20 minutes. Uh, when you make things water soluble, you can rapidly speed up the, the absorbability. Um, so there are people there, there's other ways being developed that work, uh, rapidly, but again, a lot of those going back to the compounds. So when you have flour, obviously you've got all the compounds in there, you know, you can, you know, so you've got everything, you've got the THC, CBD, all the minor cannabinoids, uh, certainly the terpene. So it's all in the flour,
1: flour, me- flower meaning the uh flour, meaning the plant uh, the itself. Buds,
0: some, yeah. The plant, something you would smoke or vaporize yep. um, the actual, you know, the green buds, um, but when you have now a lot of oral products and a lot of the other you know methods of administration on the market out there now these other products often they're kind of stripped down all they are just injecting THC and or CBD in their tincture spray you know powder whatever capsule and they're they're kind of leaving out all the other compounds so you often lose a lot of the synergy in some of these kind of formulated products, which, again, some people don't think that's a problem. You know, I, I think there's that's why there's options. But, again, it's, you know, there's a general kind of, I think I learned this a decade or more ago in, in an integrative medicine course or weekend I was at. Someone's like, in general, the further you get from nature, the, the less well it's going to work. Um, that's not certainly... The, the conventional medicine mantra, but w- within integrative medicine, um, that's a general belief, and it often I think holds true a lot of the times. The body's kind of nat- you know evolves you know in nature, so things that duplicate n- natural processes often tend to work better. That doesn't mean anything natural is safe and good. That's that's often how that gets interpreted. Right. <laughs> but th- things that that kind of mimic how the body interacts with nature normally often tend to work better. So, so kind of, you know, purifying and, and isolating certain compounds and forgetting other ones that you don't think are valuable kind of often backfires, I guess I would say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I got kind of one more topic before we get to uh, listener questions. Yeah. Uh, I did want to ask you about um, recreational use of marijuana it's certainly prevalent um and want to know just kind of i guess i'll throw out a bunch of different questions you can kind of pick which direction you want to go but i kind of how it plays into your practice people or or the practice of any physician i guess people you know using marijuana on the side um but i also wanted to know about kind of the legality status in colorado it's legal as medicine and uh, recreational, but obviously not on a, uh, federal government level. Um, so how does that, um, play in for you? I guess let's, uh, kind of start there and see where that goes.
0: Yeah. Well, legality is pretty straightforward. There's, I think 11 states now that allow adult use, which means 21 and up, of, of cannabis each state might have different rules about how much you can buy and how much you can purchase and what you can't use it in public and a variety of other things but in those 11 states if you're in private it's legal to use you know completely and so but everywhere else it's not um, unless you have some type of medical certification or things of that nature and i mean in the u.s canada canada is of course legal for everybody 21 and up across the board is nationwide. But so legality is pretty straightforward. You just have to know the state you're in. And and, and essentially all states, it's for the most part private use. There's never, no states allow any public cannabis use. Um, some states now have kind of, you know, private establishment usages and, and that's jurisdiction based. But for the most part, it's still all private use. Um, in terms of cannabis as a recreational substance, you know, the, the biggest thing is, as as you as you're obviously are hearing, and as your listeners were here, I'm not I'm not a big believer of big dividing lines that you know black and white. So you know you know where's the line between you know recreational use and self treatment of of a variety of things, and what's medicinal and what's spiritual? And I just went on and said that so much of our root cause of chronic disease is our lifestyle and our environmental changes and just the culture we live in and you know if if cannabis is used you know to benefit some of those negatives then is that a medicinal substance so there's clearly a lot of overlap so that's a kind of background way of saying I, I don't have anything against kind of legal recreational use but there's there's definitely some baggage that comes with that because now if you just have it widely available, and you don't educate anybody on its use. You're obviously going to run into problems, yeah. and so, and, you know. So I, I, I'm not a big. I don't want to say I necessarily believe all substances across the board should be legal. I, I haven't really thought about that enough, nor do I necessarily believe that. But I'm certainly not a big fan of saying, "Well, we've decided that these drugs are good and these drugs are bad, and we're going to tell you which ones are legal and not that." especially when it comes to cannabis because it's you know it's absurd how much safer it is than than the majority of things that are you know quote legal and appropriate drugs so um you know so i'm certainly in favor of widespread legalization but again i'm in favor of it with with appropriate and good education not the kind of standard scare techniques and scare tactics that are used um and so unfortunately we often legalize things uh or make laws, but we don't tend to care about the education side of it and and, and the education is uh, the education is is usually again very black and white like okay, cannabis is legal but now we're just going to tell you how dangerous it is and how you should never use it and 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 that again it backfires because most people know that's just lies and so now they don't believe anything you say as I said so I I, I definitely, think it's I have no problem. I think from a physician standpoint talking to patients who are using it whatever for any reason whether it's socially or, or medicinally again it goes back to what are you getting out of it? Well, you know, someone who's using it, well, I use it whenever I go out, but maybe they're treating social anxiety. Uh or, you know, I use it every night when I come home, maybe again stress from work and they're really treating anxiety, maybe but maybe they really are looking for kind of mind expansion in the the true psychoactive effects and there's a lot of spiritual and artistic and benefits i mean if you look at some of the most famous creators artists um of uh and even scientists of the last you know 100 plus years or 200 plus years uh cannabis was very common amongst many of them so i I don't think it should be demonized certainly uh I'm, i'm for its legalization widespread but again i think we need to appropriately educate people on how it can become a negative for them. Not, not by fear-mongering and, and these black and white blanket statements, but just good education, building trust with people and, 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 and realizing that that they can make their own decisions what's best for themselves.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. And you're so fair and, and even minded and thoughtful on, uh, all these different subjects, and, and you're basically saying the same thing, it, which is that there's not one right answer. Let's think about it and uh, and be smart and use everything appropriately, whether it's, you know, Coumadin or uh, cannabis. Yeah. Uh, or whatever it exactly. is. Exactly. Yeah.
0: There is a, you know, I don't know who originally coined moderation is, is, is king. And, you know, some things You know, there's always a spectrum, but no, it's, it's been my overriding philosophy for a long time. It really, that philosophy really goes back to, as I said, my, my early college years was very uh, split three years of, of one direction and then two years of, of another direction. And then I kind of learned early on that, that balance was a, was a, a, a motto that really um, pretty much always works you know, when it comes to health and, and, and wellness. So I, I've never really, well, I've, I've certainly strayed from that, you know, in my personal life at times, because you always stray from from a balanced area, but I, I, I kind of never strayed from that being uh, a goal and both for myself and with patients. And so it's, it, it, you're right. I answer kind of almost any question the same. Let's let's look at it from a critical <laughs> standpoint. Yeah, <you're> very consistent. <laughs> let's, let, let's look at the pros and cons and, um, and then let's do what seems best for that individual. And, and again, at least when it comes to medicine, that's always worked. I mean, it's just, I'm not saying every patient has had a perfect outcome throughout my career, but you know, in general, if I, if I look at whether I look at my data, my patients, you know, you know, you know, beliefs, you know, that that model is just simply worked not just for me, but for all kinds of practitioners. So I, I don't I found you don't really need to stray too far from that that mindset, especially when it comes to health.
1: Yeah. And I, I reckon that was uh, how medicine in its modern incarnation or its ancient incarnation was it was. Uh you know, originally intended was to be a personalized endeavor and not a a corporate one.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. And we, we, we kind of, we lost that along the way and there's a lot of levels of fault. And and I, I think pharmaceutical companies are necessary. I think hospitals are necessary. I I think all the players are necessary. I even think insurance companies can play a role. Uh, I just think, uh, I think the patient's well-being should be first, uh, amongst all these areas. And that's just, we've gotten too far. And again, cause we've tried to simplify and we've tried to do a one size fits all approach and, and a one size fits all approach, you know, generally leaves the majority of people out, you know, in terms of what's going to work best.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's, uh, speaking of leaving the majority of people out, let's get into some listener questions and, uh, yeah. and include the majority of people here. Sorry, that was a attempt at a transition. I don't know if it worked. Solid. Uh, these questions came in from all sorts of different uh, modalities and we'll start with the first one here. Tony asks about the actual efficacy of, I assume he's meaning cannabis, uh, like what journals are worth reading on the subject or is there a reputable lab producing research? Cause it feels like there's a new CBD article every week claiming it cures seizures, cancer and depression. So I think that's a good question. You know, where, where does uh, the average person go for, for good uh, information?
0: Yeah. I mean, so PubMed is still usually my first spot, you know, that's, that's where the basic science research is. Uh, and so often I'll look up some search term and then find a, you know, not a review article and then use the references in that to look up more detailed and, and kind of go from there. So PubMed is still arguably the best starting spot uh, to yeah. look up cannabis research. Is there any particular the,
1: researcher or lab that, uh, that you um, trust or that you, uh, tend towards? Or just seed producing uh, good stuff. I mean,
0: not, I I wouldn't necessarily say a lab. Um, different different countries and different folks are doing different work. I mean, the, a lot of research comes out of Israel. I mean, all the early endocannabinoid work was and discovery was done in Israel. Interesting. Um, I did not know. And that. yeah, so Raphael Meshulam is kind of considered the godfather of cannabinoid medicine. Likely,'ll be posthumous. He's probably close to ninety now, but oh, really? uh, at some point he'll win the Nobel Prize, but we're not quite there yet in our acceptance of cannabis. but
1: oh really, I don't think the Nobel years, Prize is will given win. out posthumously. He'll win uh really?
0: Oh, well, maybe, maybe I could be not. wrong about I don't, that I, don't know. I could either just way, Starting I, I, off. I don't know, but either way, he deserves it. He he's he's been he was the initial, you know. I mean, he essentially discovered the endocannabinoid system, not solely him, but you know, he was one of the key researchers, and certainly was the first to isolate THC and so forth. But so he's created a whole network of labs and work out of Israel, and and they have one. They get a lot of good clinical data from their medical cannabis program. So studies from Israel, I think, just in general, tend to be pretty good. It's not necessarily a lab. Um, okay. You know, another place that I'll, I'll use, there's a website called Project CBD. Uh, they, I think one, I think their articles are well done, but really what I'll often do is you can look up a disease process I you look up anxiety and then they'll have a link to a few research articles, then often those are good starting points. I'll pull up that research article and then look use PubMed to see what who cited that, or you know, it, it kind of starts your little rabbit hole search for for additional articles. So I often will look up a disease on Project CBD uh, in, in their library and then go to PubMed with one of their research articles and then kind of use PubMed to go from there. In terms of um, you know, a lot of the double blind randomized trials on cannabis, which there are some, it's not like there's no double blind randomized controlled trials. There's a 2017 uh, paper, uh, what's called um, uh, well, it's the National Academies of Science, Engineering and Medicine. Uh, they published an exhaustive uh, uh, systematic review on cannabis. In I think it was 2017, so kind of references a lot of the randomized control trials. There was a JAMA article in 2015 um, that kind of uh, also was an exhaustive systematic review. And again, those are looking at a specific condition for a specific, you know, cannabis study. Um, unfortunately, most of the products we're using now, and we have in dispensaries now, those we haven't studied even though I think they work better because we can't study those because they're in the United States and it's essentially not studyable um, because of its legal status. So um, what's interesting is the randomized data we have in certain conditions have better randomized data than others. But I would say those, those studies underestimate its value because they're not using the quality of products and they're not especially using the products that have nice balances of CBD and THC, which we're, we're often have access to now. But, you know, so on the research, you know, like I said, PubMed's still the best spot. And, and really just look at the, you know, there's thousands of articles on the basic physiology of cannabis. You know, there's about 50,000 cannabis articles on PubMed right now, going back to the sixties, um, you know, probably at least 2000 of those articles are clinical trials So there's not a shortage of information to look at. Yeah. Uh, And and that's why, like I said, 10 years ago, when I started looking into this, I I was blown away. There's tons more now, but there was plenty 10 years ago as well.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, that's promising. All right, next question uh, is from Mark, who writes CBD versus THC versus combination in regards to inflammation for chronic inflammation. Uh, Sorry, let me read that again. CBD versus THC versus combination in regards to inflammation. Uh, It wants to know about its use in chronic inflammation versus acute injury. He says studies show that the medicine is getting to the affected tissue rather than just kind of tingling the skin. I think that's a question. Are there studies talking about uh, acute inflammation versus chronic inflammation versus um, how the medicine actually, uh, gets to its target tissue. Yeah. I I
0: think I know what he's getting at. So first thing, and actually I, I think it popped in my head, but I didn't mention it when we were talking about cannabis in general, definitely want to dispel any notion that, CBD's the medicine compound in the plan, and THC is just a drug or a psychoactive social use compound, very much not the case. Just because THC is the compound that people use socially and causes psychoactivity doesn't mean it's not a medicinal compound. And, and in many cases is the more effective medicinal compound and certainly the more studied medicinal compound. So anybody who's claiming CBD oh, CBD's good and THC is bad, again, really doesn't know the research and, and what they're talking about. So I'll just kind of mention that. So
1: you can assume based on yeah,
0: you can assume based on everything I've said and just what I said there. I'm a believer that combinations of these two compounds are what's going to be most effective for anything, but especially but including inflammation. And it's really more the dose and the ratio uh, of those two compounds for the individual patient and what they're trying to achieve. Um, And both THC and CBD can be effective for both acute and chronic inflammation. So you know within the seconds you get blood levels of both thc and cbd you'll see reduction of inflammatory markers and, and inflammatory mediators cytokines and, and whatnot so certainly there's an acute inflammatory um, reduction component to things um, but then in in chronic inflammation as well um, we see again a lot of reversals of that inflammatory process both directly at the cytokine level Probably also through certain impact on on the, the gut lining and the and the intestinal you know, mucosa as well, um, which especially C B D has a apparent healing effect there. So so there's role in both acute and chronic inflammation. CBD's effect on inflammation is is just different. CBD kind of works by one, boosting levels of our own endocannabinoids, so essentially allowing more activity there, and then working on other receptors that play a role in inflammation specific and as well as pain like the TRPV1 receptor and PPAR gamma receptor that's where most of CBD's effects are THC on the other hand is a you know specific agonist of the cannabinoid receptors both 1 and 2 and specifically the cannabinoid 2 receptor is is our primary anti-inflammatory receptor so THC is a little bit more direct effects on the endocannabinoid system CBD is more secondary effects or indirect effects on the endocannabinoid system and then more direct effects on other receptors. So um, we, we use them both. And again, we just really change the ratio for what we're trying to achieve. If you want more immediate symptom relief, you're going to usually use more of a balance of CBD and THC or potentially um, a little bit more THC. Um, it has more immediate effects, especially for pain. Um, If you're looking more for maintenance anti-inflammatory without any kind of psychoactivity, you're going to use a higher ratio of CBD to THC, but you're still ideally going to use them both.
1: That makes sense that the the THC works faster if it directly stimulates the uh, endocannabinoid receptors, the CB. You said it works more on CB2?
0: Well, it works on both. THC works on both, but CB2 receptors are more the receptor that modulates the immune system. CB1 receptors are going to more modulate the nervous system.
1: Yeah, okay. Cool. I actually uh, recall that from your, your talk that was I was, was going to call you out. I'm like, that, <laughs>
0: that was definitely in my talk that you oh, heard. Oh, no. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, well, yeah
0: one, one or two other topics you're supposed to be learning along the way.
1: Well, I've forgotten those as well, so... <laughs> <laughs> no no worries all right so uh, the next question is from dominic and he actually uh, talks about this uh the the ratio of thc to C- cbd in his question um he actually has two so we'll start with the first one i like how it starts with i could probably do some research myself but i'd like to know if there is any significant evidence-based research to support this cbd boom across the country um, in terms of its anti-inflammatory, anti-anxiety and other claims that have been made. Um, and he acknowledges that uh, he's aware of its effect, its proven use with seizures. So uh, yeah. you talked about anti-inflammatory. Maybe we can talk about uh, other ailments that it might be useful for. And he brings yeah. up anxiety.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the studies on... CBD by itself are, are not that pronounced. And there's some things, um, you know, there are some studies. So, for example, there's a study on performance anxiety with CBD that showed benefit, um, But again, very high dosages. I think it was something like three or 600 milligrams of CBD in those studies. Uh, you have to remember most people are using 10 to 50 milligrams of CBD when they're, you know, purchasing it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the procedure medicine, um, which is a CBD medicine uses in the hundreds of milligrams, those are pure CBD isolates. And, and again, we tend to find synergy when we use the compounds together. So the products that we seem to get the most benefit from, what patients are using, say from dispensaries or even from high quality hemp CBD manufacturers, those aren't the products that we actually have as much data from because those aren't studied. But we see clinically more benefits from those products. So we're in a little bit of a pickle. The products we see have the most benefit clinically aren't the ones that we have the randomized control study on. So uh, when it comes to anxiety, you know, we know, I'm pretty sure it's the 1A receptor off top of my head. Um, And it has a nice anxiolytic effect, you know, working at that receptor. Um, but again, typically in combination with THC, it's, things are going to work better. The biggest issue when you're treating anxiety is the dose of THC. The dose of THC that's going to be anxiolytic is very low, um, often well below the psychoactive dose and it's some. There's a dose of THC in all patients where it becomes a pro-anxiety compound. That's where you get paranoia. If for anybody who's used it socially and feels that anxiety and paranoia, that's you know, it's too much from a medicinal standpoint. It might be what you wanted from a psychoactive standpoint, but and so products for anxiety tend to be higher in CBD, lower in THC. But again, typically some combination of those two is what works best. But again, when you look at the actual randomized controlled studies. Uh, the products that are studied tend to be just pure CBD isolate because that's a purified chemical. It's easier to do a randomized study with a single purified chemical than with a combination product that now has, you know, variability. So, again, it's, it's uh, the research and what we see clinically diverge a little bit. Uh, I tend to start with the research and then whittle that down based on what I'm seeing patients respond to. And so I know CBD is effective, but you know, like I said, I see it more effective in combination with very low dosages of THC.
1: All right. That's great. I, uh, I know all, all of our listeners appreciate you directly uh, answering their questions. We got one more here from Dominic. Um, and yep. I've already kind of gone ahead and, and just looked ahead. And, it uh, looks like we've covered just about every other topic that anyone else has brought up here. So, I hope they're, they'll be happy with that. But uh, last question for you uh, from Dominic. Uh, one-to-one ratio THC to CBD strain or oil. Does the CBD have protective effects against any carcinogens?
0: Um, I wouldn't necessarily say protective against any carcinogens other than just the CBDs you know, having its own therapeutic benefits on inflammation and, and whatnot, but I wouldn't necessarily think about it in terms of protecting against carcinogens. Uh, the one-to-one ratio is popular for a couple of reasons. One, we see people repeatedly get benefit of it, uh, to the prescript, the other prescription that's not available in the United States, but it's been available as a prescription therapy for, I think a decade now in many other countries uh, made by this, uh, the same company who makes the CBD medicine we have here is a one-to-one ratio oral spray, uh, and so that's what's approved for MS uh, spasticity and pain, as well as a couple other conditions in other countries. So that's where their research settled on the one-to-one ratio. We see people benefit left and right with one-to-one ratios in in, in you know clinical dispensary products. So I think it's more it's a nice balance of CBD and THC. Um, but I, it's not so much CBDs protecting against any specific carcinogenic effects if you're smoking cannabis or anything like that. I, I just think that's a a ratio that seems to be highly effective for acute relief of symptoms, especially pain.
1: Okay, great. All right. Well, it's funny you brought up uh, drugs for multiple sclerosis because we just took an exam on uh, that topic this morning and uh, including, you know, farm for, for MS. And uh, that was definitely not one of our drugs listed that we right. we're supposed to know. So. Well, well, not approved in the U S <laughs> right. but, but
0: Sativex, which is a one-to-one ratio of uh, oral mucosal spray, a one-to-one ratio of CBD and THC has been approved, I think for at least a decade uh, in, in about 25 other countries uh, and, uh, and so you use for pain and spasticity for MS, uh, amongst, amongst some other symptoms, that's what it's approved for. It's used off label, you know, in other areas, but, uh, right. um, uh, so that, that is a, you know, pharmaceutical, that's not just, you know, go, go to a dispensary. That's a prescribed pharmaceutical.
1: Great. Well, amazing. I think, uh, I think that just about wraps it up for all my Topics of conversations. I I, I want to thank you so much for um, not only coming on the podcast and telling your personal story and um, talking about so many aspects of medicine and, and your role in medicine and and your thoughts and philosophy, but also coming to my school, Rocky Vista University, maintaining a relationship there as a as a guest speaker. Um, your your I guess uh, perspective and, uh, thoughts on medicine are are definitely valued. So thanks again.
0: Well, absolutely. I, I appreciate you having me and, and sharing, uh, the stage and allowing me to, uh, spew and babble on my, uh, opinions, uh, and, and just the work you're doing. I, I, I know how, uh, challenging, you know, medical school is to start. So to be able to, uh, be organizing these podcasts, talking to guests, hearing their stories, uh, I know it's valuable for, you know, your listeners, hoping you're getting great insight out of it as, as, as well to, to help guide, you know, your future career, but just the, the amount of work that goes into doing something like this, I hope your listeners, uh, Uh, you know, kind of recognize that uh, this is more than a a random hobby. It's taken a a big chunk of your time to to put these on and do the research and things of that nature. So I hope your listeners appreciate that. I I, I certainly do and and appreciate being able to be here.
1: For sure. For sure. Well, I I love the art form of just, uh, you know, talking to people long form and and getting a long form interview and exploring topics uh, more deeply than, than you'd get in really any other setting. Um, and it's definitely a labor of love and uh, a passion project. So, um, I'm happy to do it cause I, I enjoy it and I, I get a lot out of it.
0: All right, well, excellent. Well, I, like I said, I'm, I'm honored to be able to be on it and, and, uh, you know, as you say, share my perspective on thing and, and, uh, not surprising that we're, we're probably not the only, uh, uh, two Jewish kids who got told yeah going to be med school is a, a good thing along the way and, and had that play a role in our uh, decision making
1: definitely well I, I was actually a little bit more circuitous in my route I, I um didn't I wasn't a pre-med I actually uh, started med school at uh age of 31 so uh, so you,
0: you, you have some valuable life experience which is why you uh you you're you're probably potentially more aware of other perspectives than a lot of 23 year olds in the exact same boat.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I worked a little bit in counseling and then, uh, circled back, um, got into EMS and then I got, uh, just inspired to, you know, take the plunge. So happy I did, even though it's a, it's a long and tough road, but, uh, get to talk to good people like you and, and, uh, further my education.
0: Good. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're there, uh, from our conversations and, uh, I know medicine's going to be better off for it to have you there.
1: Same to you. Same to you, Dr. Gordon. Thank you so much. We will, uh, hopefully our paths will cross again.
0: Absolutely. And, And be safe, you know, you and your, your colleagues at school, certainly your listeners, everyone out there, I guess, be home and be safe is, is all we can do right now. And, and, uh, so uh obviously glad we could still do this and you know again technology is not always bad so it's still enabled us to have this conversation during during periods of uh isolation and quarantine and all that all that you know stuff that's needed right now
1: yep it's a beautiful thing we need to uh connect with each other and absolutely uh, it's a good way of doing it so i'll let you go Excellent. take uh, care have a great evening and, and... we'll cross paths again soon yep thanks again all Bye right bye-bye Bye. Turns out, the more you know, the less you know you know, you know? Thank you, Dr. Gordon, for uh, talking to me for so long over almost three hours of podcast. That was great. I love doing these podcasts to show myself and everyone listening the nuances and philosophy behind many primary care docs' practice. And I'm always thinking of what I can do to be a better host. So please send your feedback to theprimarycarepodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram. Thanks for listening and spreading the word. Hey, don't be afraid to spread the word. Tell someone who you think might enjoy the podcast. Maybe they don't have Apple Podcasts. They might have Spotify. They might have Stitcher. They might have Overcast. Or I think there's one called Pocket Cast that people listen on. Um, so keep spreading the word and I've got some fun ideas for um for episodes down the line. Um for now I'll just keep trying to bring you an episode every month. So thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one. a little pizzazz, you know what I'm saying? Pizzazz. pizzazz. Her uterus was the universe and it bloomed in birth, the moon and the earth. Nothing ever happened till it was observed by the first animals with optic nerves. It was a fight for survival. Many died though, friends were formed to fight mutual rivals. Male and woman appeared and they realized there was a thing called love, bringing joy into their lives. Boom! They were civilized, went from stones and bones to phones and drones as many kings took the throne. Built empires and the stories well known. History ticks along like a metronome. Walk, talk, and throw stuff. All grown up, I got a job now and showing up. I'm sleep deprived. I'm misaligned. My appetite is primed to feed the ego almost all the time. And then I met you, lovely and smooth. You quickly removed my modern man's blue. I wanna celebrate every breath that I take. Cause I'm afraid I'm dreaming and I don't wanna wait. So, baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. The universe was my universe. But I left to pursue the search of love But sometimes it hurt along the way If there's anything I've learned Create a garden Plant flowers in the dirt I'm gonna be the sunshine and rain Protect you from the pain As I push you toward the flames Play the game and wonder Am I the hunted or the hunter? When I was younger I met God and I hugged her She said, hey baby Instead of getting lost within How about you try to walk a mile in my moccasins Stop, begin, let the thoughts and visions Guide you further down the road Going inch by inch Don't sprint It's slow, protect your soul. Travel long and far, but make sure to come home. Cause the love that's here is what keeps you going and gives you the power and the freedom to grow. Let's giggle and laugh and rise up through the stress. This life is crazy, but it's the goddamn best. When life gets complex, don't think, just do it first. It was simpler when the uterus was so baby. Let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever. Grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. The uterus was my universe. The uterus was my universe. All conversation and information exchanged and contained in the podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be confused with medical treatment, advice, or direction. Nothing on the podcast should supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although guests on the show are board certified and licensed physicians, they are not functioning as physicians in this environment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and Forever gonna grow into something we don't know